Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. This morning we'll be turning to Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise, Selah. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Selah. Behold our shield, O God, look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. The word of the Lord. Abba, Father, this psalm is a psalm of praise and comfort for us. For those of us who are here this morning, whose faith is oriented to the true north of the gospel, I pray that these words would be a call to remain steadfast in our faith and enjoy the rest we have in you. For other of us, we may be in a time that your loving providence has led us in a time of disorientation. And for many of us, that's every day. And may these words be a call too long once again for the courts of the Lord. So I pray that as Pastor Andrew preaches, your spirit may work in our hearts to once again be reoriented to the great truths of the gospel, that we may have the joy of our salvation restored to us. Father, we know that you have promised that your word will not return void. So we pray that lives will be changed as the gospel is proclaimed. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we are bold to pray. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. Great to be together again gone for a couple of weeks, so it's good to open God's Word with you and enter into this psalm series. Uh, we've been looking at some representative psalms. There, there's not really any specific rhyme or reason other than the fact that we have chosen psalms that sort of have different genres. Uh, last week, we looked at a penitential psalm. This week, you know, we have Psalm 84, this one writer calls a blazing psalm of joy. Uh, next week we have Psalm 72, which is a kingship psalm. So different types of psalms that reveal different parts of our soul. 
This is a psalm, uh, as you've heard read, that, that speaks a lot uh, about the, the courts of the living God. And we're going to talk about what that means uh, a little bit more as we go. But I want to share with you, by way of starting, uh, a poll that was conducted recently and reported on February 17 of this year, a poll of 2,000 Britons, and there's nothing specific to the Britons here, uh, about the perfect Sunday. What is the perfect Sunday? How would you answer that question? Well, here's what those polled said. A perfect Sunday involves waking up at 8.30 to the smell of breakfast cooking. They didn't specifically mention bacon, but I'm sure that that was a part of it. Uh, it was a cuddle, and then three hours of television. A quarter of the Brits surveyed thought that an ideal weekend morning would start with a full English breakfast in bed, and a third wanted to share their Sunday, wanted to start their Sunday morning with a cup of tea or coffee before pottering around the house uh, for an hour. The perfect roast is said to be best served at 3.15 p.m. They're clearly not in line with West Michigan there. Uh, with ideally only four people. Other activities that uh, these Brits enjoy doing on Sunday include reading a book, listening to music, doing some gardening. Nearly one in ten said they spend their Sunday afternoon at the pub, while one in seven think Sundays are made for doing the shopping to keep the cupboards stocked for the rest of the week. What strikes you uh, about the poll? A couple of things for me. Uh, one, and it certainly stands out, there's no mention of church, you know, no mention of worship, no mention of orienting our lives, you know, with the people of God and the presence of God uh, as, a, as an important part of their, their Sunday. Uh, we're going to talk a lot more about this theme, of course, and that's where, you know, we really connect with Psalm 84. But there's one other thing that stood out to me, and I think it's part of that connection with the Psalms overall, is it was incredibly ordinary, wasn't it? I mean, we love that list, and I, I can get on board with a lot of that stuff in terms of a, a great day, uh, waking up late, nice breakfast, you know, leisure time. There's just an ordinariness uh, about this. I think part of one of the reasons why folks responded in that way is it betrays a longing. Like, most of our lives don't match that. <laughs> we don't have those idyllic days. Kids are waking us up at, you know, 4.30 in the morning, or we're battling sickness, or we've got to rush out to pay the bills, and all of these other different things uh, we don't have the sort of ordinariness, we don't have the sort of idyllic lifestyle or idea that is portrayed in that. And that's really where the Psalms help us. Psalms are so interesting because if you think about much of the Scripture, it's really characterized by, you know, we would say it's God teaching us. Uh, but the Psalms are different than that. Most of the Psalms are, are man's cry to God. Now, I'm not saying that they're less inspired or, you know, the Holy Spirit wasn't in them, but, but they're prayers, you know, they, they, are, they are 
the evocations of, of a soul on fire for various different reasons. It could be worship, it could be joy, it could be difficulty, hardship, all of those things. Most of us don't live in the idyllic place. Most of us live what one writer called the edge of humanness. I, I think you, you get that, you know, as we think about the losses and, and the struggles. And, and the Psalms reflect the, the cries out of the edge of humanness. So, one writer puts it this way, this means that the agenda and the intention of the Psalms is considerably at odds with the normal speech of most people. It's considerably at odds with sort of the experience of normalcy that that poll was longing for. It's sensitive. The Psalms are sensitive to the raw hurts that we have, the primitive passions, the naive elations uh, that are at the bottom of our life. And, and the Psalms really best express this, and, and they are most honestly prayed uh, when we are honest about the disequilibrium that is in our life, the disorientation that we experience. Uh, rather than pretending that we live in a place of orientation. For most of us, liturgical or devotional entry into the Psalms requires a, a change of, of mindset. It asks us to depart from the closely managed world of public sur uh, survival and managed perception to move into the opening, frightening healing word speech that we have with the Holy One. So that's the mindset as we go to Psalm 84. You can clearly hear this. This son of Korah is in a place of disequilibrium or disorientation, right? He is longing for the courts of God. He is longing for peace in his present situation. What is his present situation? We, we don't know. We know he's apart from that experience of peace. It's cry, you know, that's forced uh, his longing for that. Uh, the sons of Korah are also attributed to Psalm 42 and 43. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Uh, you know, my heart is yearning for you as the deer pants for streams of living water. That's probably the same author that wrote uh, Psalm 84. You can see similar themes and similar longings coming out. So, whereas Psalm 42 and 43, he's really striving within himself in this place of disequilibrium, Psalm 84 begins to move in the direction of peace. He begins to move in the direction uh, of finding uh, a reorientation. And so what I want to do this morning is say, what does that look like? You know, what is that journey like for this particular author? And we can see three things and just follow the outline of the psalm. You see there's these three blesseds. There's blessed are those dwell in your house ever singing your praise, Verse 4, blessed are those whose strength is in you, verse 5, and then verse 12, blessed is the one who trusts you. And, and we have three different sections. We have uh, 1 to 4, kind of the longing. Uh, we have 5 to 9, 
the, the limping along in our journey. We'll talk about that in a minute. And then 10 to 12, we have the leaning, the blessed is the one who trusts in you. So what is it that this psalmist, in the midst of his disorientation, is uh, clinging on to? What does his journey look like? Well, we've talked about this longing. And for him, it's not just simply an intellectual longing. It's not just simply a spiritual longing that's uh, disassociated from his life. But rather, like he says in, in the psalm, my flesh and my heart are crying out for you. Uh, so deep is his disorientation. Uh, so palpable is his pain. So, so desperate is the feeling of his heart that he expresses it in this way. My flesh and my heart are longing for you. I'm sure that many of you can relate to that. You know, and when we come to those moments of disorientation, those things are relational, uh, whether they are physical pain, breaking down, whether we just uh, are missing somebody, there's a loss in our life. Uh, we, we can really describe it physically because it's not just up here an idea, but it's something that really gets us at that visceral level. And in order to begin to gather that, in order to begin to address that, the psalmist says, I need the house of God. I need the people of God. Saw that in Psalm, eight, uh, Psalm 73, the Asaph there is the author of that psalm. And, you know, he's talking about his struggles of faith. And he said, I I, I was, was blind to their end until I went into the house of God. And it's there in the house of God that things become clear for this psalmist, Asaph, others. Now, one word here just in terms of application and contextualization. We, we can't make a straight line application from the temple uh, of Israel uh, some thousand years before Christ to, you know, Christ Church building 2,500 Breton some 2,000 years after Christ. Uh, there is some continuity and some discontinuity. On the discontinuity side, the temple was a physical manifestation of the place where the presence of God uh, settled on and uh, the people of God were called to worship there in a, in a particular way. Now, we have some of that when we come to church. You know, we experience the presence of God. We experience the people of God. But actually, in the New Testament, you know, we're told that we are the temple of the living God. Uh, there's, there's been a progression from merely a physical place, whether it be the tabernacle or the temple, to uh, the heart, the law being written on our heart, and we, you know, holding the presence of God, the ministrations of the Holy Spirit. But yet, the principles are the same. You know, when we come together, and this is why it's important, you know, sometimes we get into these discussions like, you know, I can stay home and listen to a lot better preachers than Vandermoss on, on a Sunday morning. 
Uh, I can listen to it, on, you know, on the internet, or I can catch it on television. But we, we miss the presence of God in the people of God. You know, you and I, as believers, we, we minister the presence of God in one another's lives. And it's, it's just really important. This is why, you know, New Testament writer of the Hebrews says, do not neglect the gathering together of yourselves because it's important for you and your perseverance in life and all of these other things. So we don't make a straight line application between the temple and the church in that way, and yet the principles involved are the same. What happens there? Well, it's praise, right? Blessed are those who praise God. And as we praise God, we're reminded of the the right order of the universe. As I give praise to God, uh, I am acknowledging that He is higher than I am. I am acknowledging that I am not the center of the universe. And this is so important for us to do at least weekly, right? Uh, you know, our, the the uh, centripetal force of our life is to make us the center of the universe. Uh, but at least once a week, we come together and we say, I'm not the center. You are the center. Let me sing praise to you. And the psalmist finds this so crucial, so crucial to navigating his way through life, the acknowledgement that he is not the center, that God is, and he sings praise to him. Uh, interesting notes. Uh, I was like, what was I going to say there? Uh, I got it all. Uh, so we, we bring praise to God. It, it gives an orderedness to, to our thinking. The, the second thing, just in terms of this longing, as I've mentioned already, is the gathering, the importance of, of the people of God. I've already alluded to the fact that, that we minister in a very clear way the, the presence of God to one another. You know, as we submit our lives to Christ, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us. And so, as we speak to one another, as we care for one another, we minister the presence of God to one another. The other thing that I think is really, uh, is really cool about this psalm is the way that it talks about the welcome for a wide variety of people in the presence of God. In verse 9, you know, the, the psalmist speaks of the king, you know, the anointed one. So, so the king, as a representative of the people, is in the temple worshiping, and of course the king is a high place in society. But do you notice who else finds their way into the temple? The sparrow and the swallow. You know, these are very, like, ordinary birds. You know, there's no plumage of a parrot. There's no, you know, glory of an eagle. Uh, these are just very ordinary birds. And the swallow is even bringing her young. A and there's just such a, a picture here of sanctuary and safety and welcome within the courts of the living God at His altar in the presence of God's people. Uh, this is what the psalmist is longing for. He's saying, I know a place, I, I know a place where I can have ordered thinking as I praise God, where there is welcome and sanctuary and safety for 
all the people of God from the, the sparrow and the swallow of the field to the king of the nation. And I am longing for that. You know, I, I think that's a, a pretty inviting picture. And, and I don't think things have changed a whole lot. People are still longing for that. You know, and that part of the invitation for us is to be that place. To, to be that place where people can experience that kind of, of freedom. They can find that kind of invitation and welcome, that kind of ordered thinking. Why? Because our journeys are ones of limping. Uh, you see that in this middle section. You know, whether the journey is literal, as many pilgrims, you know, would come. Jesus, when he was a, a young child, was taken from Nazareth down to the temple. Uh, they would take these, these literal journeys where they would come into the house of God. We have this section in the Psalms called the Psalms of Ascent as they would go up to the temple mount. Uh, so a literal journey or, like it says in verse 5, in whose hearts are the highways to Zion. You know, whether it's a literal journey or a, phys or, or a um, you know, sort of a spiritual mental journey, uh, the point is we go through what verse 6 says, these valleys of Baca. Uh, as they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. What is the valley of Baca? Well, there's a couple different things that are uh, suggested. Some of you familiar with other translations that will say they go through a valley of weeping. Uh, the, the word baka in Hebrew is the same consonants as, as, uh, um, as the word for weeping. Some of you know that Hebrew doesn't actually have vowels. They were added later. So um, the, the, the translation is, is very similar. The other possibility is that it's a particular kind of tree, a baka tree that grows in arid places. Whatever the case, you get the idea, right? Uh, these are the difficult places in life. And as we journey, we, we limp through the Valley of Baca, these, these places where we're challenged, you know, where weeping uh, comes, where, uh, where we meet the dryness, maybe of our own spiritual hearts, maybe just a, of the difficulties of life. I mean, if your life is anything like mine, you, you know this. You know, in the last 10 days, we've been dealing with a water breach in the house, you know, cars that need to be fixed. We've got uh, Lisa's sister was 40 years old in the hospital, had to have a pacemaker, uh, having these headaches that are making her heart stop. Uh, you know, continuing to walk with kids, young and old, and all of the challenges that are there. Again, I, I share these things not to highlight us, but just to say, this is, this is the stuff of life, right? You know, it, it's finances, it's bosses, it's, you know, all of these different things that we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. It's old age, it's depression, it's the Valley of Baca. But what the psalmist says is that as I have this ordered thinking with God at the top, the valley of Baca, the places of weeping, the places of dryness are made to be a place of springs. The valley of Baca, the, the difficult places in life, 
we find strength. In fact, the psalmist says we go from strength to strength. Why is that? Because the Lord is our strength. And one of the things that the psalmist is teaching us here is that so often we, we look for joy, we look for peace, <coughs> we, we, we claim strength when the circumstances around us lead towards that. If they are all lending themselves to strength, if you know, we're killing it in our job and our house is sold and uh, our kids are doing well and our cars are all running uh, in the way that they're supposed to. You know, we say, yes, strong in the Lord. But what the psalmist is saying is even in the valley of Baca, we find strength. Why? Because our strength is in you. Our strength is in the Lord who stands outside of our circumstances. And so our circumstances don't control whether it is a place of weeping. Uh, our circumstances uh, are, are, are subservient to the strength of the Lord who is over and above these things. And, and that's how the psalmist can say, look at we go from strength to strength. Well, that's crazy. It seems like your life is hard. Of course it is. But God is the one who meets us in the middle of that and, and who gives us the strength. That's how the psalmist can say, no good thing, verse 11, does he withhold. Can you say that about your life? No good thing does he withhold. It takes a certain amount of orientation to who God is to really feel that, to really experience that, because we can look at a lot of things that we are, think we ought to have or we feel like we shouldn't have, and yet what the psalmist is teaching us to say is that God is God, and as he orders our lives, he hasn't made a mistake. He continues with us in a way that brings glory to him. So we limp to a certain degree. But the invitation and what this is pointing us to is to trust, to lean into Him. You know, we hear words like believe or trust or some of these things, and sometimes we have the concept that that's an intellectual exercise. Well, there certainly is that. I'm all for good theology. I'm all for right thinking. But right thinking will not save you. Uh, you have to lean into the, the presence of the Lord, you have to lean into Him. What I mean by that is, you know, take a, a, a little girl caught in a, in a fire in the home, and she's out of the second story, and her, her dad is, is down there, and he's saying, you know, go ahead, jump. You know, I, trust me, I, I'll catch you. You know, again, intellect, she could you know, very rationally say, I believe my dad will catch me. I'm 42 pounds and, you know, he's muscular and he'll be able to catch me. Uh, you know, she can go through all of that, but trusting is actually jumping. Trusting is, is not just the intellectual ascent, but it's laying yourself in that. And that is what, that's what the psalmist is saying, you know, as we journey, a, as we go forward, Blessed is he whose trust is in the Lord, who's, who's leaning into the promises 
that Jesus is our sun and our shield, as the text says. You know, here we see such a beautiful picture of who the Lord is. He is our, our sun and our shield. He bestows honor and favor on us. The sun, the source of life, the guidance, the, the light that penetrates the dark. This is who God is. This is what Hebrews says. He is the radiance of the Father's glory. When we come to Revelation, we have no need of the sun. Why? Because Jesus is the sun. He is the one who sustains us. And this is what the psalmist is saying. This is my son. This is my shield. This is the champion who has gone into battle bearing the standard of a, of a cross and an empty tomb. This is the one who has picked up the gauntlet and has won the victory, defeating sin, death, Satan, all of his minions. This is the one who holds the victory. He is my shield and I am safe in him, I may have many enemies, but not one can touch me with my shield around me. This is the heart of the psalmist who is leaning into trusting his Savior. In the midst of all of the you know, vicissitudes of life, all of those difficult, messy, ugly places in life that we all go into, that we all struggle to find our way. The Savior says, Jesus is your son and your shield. Will you trust in him? And it's such, a, it's such a picture of the gospel because this is why the psalmist can say, you know, one day I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God, then dwell in the tents of wickedness. You know, you see, you think about those tents, there was obviously luxury and all of these different things that was uh, symbolized there, but it's also, you know, a, a warfare, a strength, a, a going forward uh, against the Lord. And what the, say, what the psalmist is saying is that just one day in your courts, as a doorkeeper, the humblest of positions in the courts of the Lord. It doesn't have to be a prominent position. I just need to be in the courts of the Lord as a doorkeeper. It's better. It's better than anything else. It, it, it surpasses everything else. And there's just such an invitation in there because, you know, God is not asking for our strength. He's not asking for you to, you know, to make a name for yourself, to utilize all your gifts in order that people can recognize. God's saying, will you come humbly? Will you come and, and be near me in my presence? And there you will find life and there you will find joy. Because that's the gospel, right? The humble are exalted. But those who exalt themselves are humbled. What is the perfect Sunday? It may include a lot of different things. But if we follow the path of the psalmist, we find ourselves at the heart of God. And each and every week, we are invited to come to this place in the midst of our disorientation to be reoriented. And to know that ultimately, all of our life 
is in the Lord Jesus. Thanks. Let's pray. Why don't you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for its promise and what you're holding out in front of us. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to help us to grow and to find strength in in the things that you are teaching us. Lord, we thank you for the psalmist, the son of Korah, who has captured and expressed so well uh, much of our own journey. We pray that as we, together with him, look to you, uh, that you would meet us and that you would confirm to us these truths. Father, we pray this all, uh, asking that it would resound to your honor and to your glory. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.